Do you wanna rub on Simba's tummy? Or think that Spider-Man looks extra yummy? The pain of childhood is super funny. On Did That Do It For Ya? With Aurelia Grierson. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Do It For Ya podcast, the Sexual Awakenings podcast, where we discuss the media that made us horny for the first time. I'm here with the incredibly talented, brilliant, and gorgeous Jenny Kessler. Shalom. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I'm eating Girl Scout cookies. I'm (laughs) drinking a land shark, you know, Jimmy Buffett's beer. Um, <laughs> two things that have gotten me through this past year that's now passed. <sighs> yes. This is the first recording of the new year. Oh. First recording of 2021. Yes, yes um, here we are. I have a question. Mm-hmm. How and where did you get Girl Scout cookies? Honestly, my mom made it happen is the real answer there. So she has the hookup? What's going she- on? Well, and to her credit, I mean, she lives in the town that I grew up in and have spent, I spent the first 18 years of my life in the same house outside of the Boston area. And she was a troop leader or was like involved with the Girl Scouts very much so, and I was also a Girl Scout. So I think she probably still just like has the connect. Uh, (laughs) Truly like the everyday, a woman appeared in our lawn or like drove up and like came out and handed us boxes and she and my mom talked for uh, quite some time and then (laughs) this person disappeared and we had many uh we call them caramel delights I don't know if in Oregon that is I I have no idea what that is they look like this oh a Samoa yes I don't know if that's exciting on a podcast it's it's a Samoa ladies and gentlemen And and them friends yes we call them caramel delights I think they are the best thing about he being alive. <laughs> Those are the best Girl Scout cookies. It's them and Thin Mints, no contest. Um, but also the chocolate dipped peanut butter ones. Uh, the Tagalongs. Is that what they're called? It is crazy to me that it is not consistent across the U.S. That is insane. I'm only just learning this. What do you call shortbreads? Uh, tree foils. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> that one I do not abide. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you like Tagalongs and Samoas and Thin Mints? I like, I guess they're called Tagalongs because I don't remember the name. But they're called Thin Mints. They're called Thin Mints. Well, because Thin Mints were like, when I was a Girl Scout, that was like number one top seller. It is year. always. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get yeah. the most in the pack, first of all. So it's the most bang for your buck. I did not think about that. I should have used that as a selling technique. You get the most bang for your buck with the Thin Mint. Also, you yeah. can put them in the freezer and they last forever. That's real. Yeah. Th- that one, Thin Mints are like probably like the best, just like in terms of it, things it's got going for it. But Samoas <laughs> are the best tasting or I guess what did you call them caramel delights caramel delights (laughs) oh and the way that it's spelled is that the d-e are lowercase so d and then the l is uppercase that sounds so on brand for the girl scouts of america oh my god well okay wait did you know that I wrote a play about girl scouts loosely is it the cabin Yes. Did I get the number right? Yes, you did. Because that's the age of the of the Goyles. I think that's the age I went to Girl Scout camp. I me too. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like like based loosely on my experiences at Girl Scout camp and also my stepmother's experience at sleepaway camp. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we both were like didn't have gay awakenings at like she my stepmom who you've met yes is 
Well, I mean, a friend of mine once described her as both Cheech and Chong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like in the fusing of the two, like ascended gender in that way. Yeah. I took a gender studies class in, in my third season of college and <laughs> college season three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the third time stuck, thank God. <laughs> and honestly, I feel like season three and four are usually the best of a TV show. I agree. It finds its footing. Yeah. As, as, <laughs> as a college season one cast member, you can. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> but we were supposed to like interview a family member about their experience with gender. And I was like, well, obviously mm. I'm going to interview my stepmom. And she said, mm-hmm. if I grew up now, I definitely would identify as trans. I would have been a trans man. Mm-hmm. She spent all mm-hmm. of her young life wanting wanting to be a boy and wanting to do the things that boys did. And of course, like she grew up in the sixties and it was the gender norms were a bit more rigid then, but she's like, she's all very proud of me for being a little gender queer little piece of shit that I am. I feel like even when we were younger, it was still pretty rigid. I am Mm. just so like inspired and in awe of how many people yourself included are like pioneering and like very much carving out that space and opening that spectrum and just, yeah, everything about it is beautiful. Um, And that's so beautiful. I mean, having met Lori, I'm like, I see that and I love that. It's, it, it it makes sense to the person I know and that's beautiful. And we were just talking about this before we hit record. So I'm glad that we we found our way there so quickly. Sometimes it's still, even like as someone who does identify as non-binary, there's some moments where I'm still feeling like, oh, I'm so silly. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking so much lately about my clothing that I wear. Mm, I mean, you know, that is a conversation. That yeah. I yeah. I mean, when you first yeah. met me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you should get to this before it gets too late. Oh, sure. Jenny, how did, <laughs> how did we meet? Okay. So as Aurelia alluded to, we met season one of Aurelia's <laughs> college journey, which was, I was a, a mini series. I was an anthology, uh, one and done at Fordham University's toxic toxic theater program um and i was in the design and production track which was cute and cozy and aurelia was an actor and i remember they were very tall and they had striped pants (laughs) and they had pretty quickly like started dating someone Uh. so so my impression was like this person has game. They know what's up. They're like in New York living their best life. And I am a goblin. <laughs> and I, they, I am not <laughs> at the level that they are at. So I feel like first semester we didn't really, I mean, we were all at the same parties because we were all 18 and didn't have fakes yet. I did. Oh God, damn it. That's probably why I thought you were cool too. Cause you were like already had that shit. I'm thinking of framing mine by the way, but we'll. <laughs> I will frame yeah. mine if you frame yours. Oh, beautiful. Mine was Arizona. Oh, I was New Jersey. Oh my God. They probably, well, although were they like more attuned to whether or not it was actually fake? Well, here's a fun story. Right before I left for Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I wasn't going to need my fake anyway at that point because I was turning 21 in Ireland mm-hmm. and in Ireland mm-hmm. the drinking age is 18. And, but yeah, it was like one of the last nights that I was in town, I went, we went to a Lincoln Park, which I'm sure you remember. It closed, didn't it? Thank goodness for that. (laughs) Terrible cesspool den of sin. All they had, they had one like arcade game and it was a hunting game (laughs) with a rifle. So I was like, this is what this place is about. I'm going to be an empanada mama. See you all later. So many fond memories of 
I have just like too many stories just came like rushing back. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll finish. Okay, I'll finish the. Yeah. Uh, I'll finish the, the 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 fake ID one, and then we could. Yeah. So I tried to go to Lincoln Park, and it had oh, my my fake. I've always worked there before. I'd never had any issue, or if mm-hmm. like I did, it's like if people knew that it was a fake, they didn't care. But mm-hmm. then it was one guy. I was I had already been drinking like at the dorms. I had already been. I'd started my evening already, and so I was like, ah, and. The, the bouncer looks at my ID and he looks at the picture and he looks at my face and he's like, this isn't you. And I said with so much confidence, just so much unearned fucking confidence. I mm. said, are you kidding? That's the only part of the ID that is real. Oh my God. <laughs> and then he looked Beautiful. at me and then I looked at him and we were both like, ah, and then I just ran away and he had the ID. <laughs> oh my God. That's that incredible. That's incredible that's much better than my story which is just that I was at the Trader Joe's wine shop next to Trader Joe's on third avenue like person who was like only just 21 like they Mm -hmm. were clearly like they were clearly out to get all of us they just were like this is not real and I was Uh. like this is where this happens like 3 (laughs) p.m at the grocery store I was really upset but she gave it back to me so well that's good at least you didn't take it yeah but Jenny, I need you to know that like my version of events is not <laughs> how you- Oh, real quick. I want to yeah. say, I think the first time that we ever actually, because we like had talked before, but like when we like friended, yeah, we were, I think in a group project in collab too. Oh God. <laughs> and I think Amber was in our group as well. Yeah. I could be wrong. My like but... friends from Fordham. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you were like, Jenny, come have tea in my suite. Because we had sweets and not like, well, I don't know. Why I wanted to go to Fordham. <laughs> Honestly. Exclusively dorms the dorms. We're still to this day the nicest dorms I have seen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember being like, oh my God. <laughs> and so we went and had tea and we talked about boy problems. And that was the beginning for in my mind, in the story I have in my mind. No, 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 mine too. I just, okay. it's interesting that you had that perception of me because I was actually like such a mess. And I had like, a, I had like almost like the exact same perception of you of like, I was like, oh my God, Jenny oh, is gosh. so stylish and so cool. And like, you were like, oh gosh, I know now that you were just like shy, but at yeah. the time <laughs> I was like, oh, Jenny is like too cool to talk to me. And oh, I was God. just like, I well, it's just, you were cool. And also like you had this, you told this story Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, story and orientation of you like carrying a puppet on the Boston mm-hmm. Metro. I thought you were really cool and you had cool clothes and you were like clearly really intelligent, like artsy and cool. And I was from like rural Oregon. So I was like, oh, Jenny is too cool to, <laughs> to talk to me. And then we finally we were too cool. Exactly. We thought we were too cool for each other. And then finally we were paired together in collab. Yeah. Just nudity and excuses to to kiss our classmates is really bad you know it's funny I heard you say that in another episode and that was like as a designer I was a costume designer in the Mm -hmm. program and that was like so not my experience with any of the nudity or kissing and stuff and then I almost felt I don't think I felt guilt because I don't think I ever pressured anyone to be nude but clearly as someone who's doing costume design like I would be involved in the nudity process and I was like oh god like (laughs) no I don't think like any of the nudity in the shows like we there was some nudity in some shows that we did but like I never thought that was like that was always like yeah that's real okay to Fordham's credit I think that the the studio show like setup is actually pretty great yeah I agree and I think if I had been you know just like a little more 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. If my ego had just been a little bit different, mm. if I had let my ego die just even a little bit, I think I would have gotten a lot more out of that program then. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Cause then I went to Ireland and was having similar issues, but like something unlocked creatively there that I think right. was, but it was so similar to, I don't know this is, I'm going to cut all of this, but this is something that I'm processing. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. Cause I remember when you told me you were going to go to Ireland, I was about to go to Prague. So I was like, I'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> like, so excited. But I also was like, cause I at the time was like, I need to transfer away from the school and got through significant parts of an application to go to some other schools and was like, no, like what I'm dealing with at this school, I'm going to have to face wherever I go. And so in some ways, I just need to stick it out here. But for you, like when you told me you were going to Dublin, I was like, no, this feels like like this is the journey for Aurelia. Like this feels right. I know that it was maybe circuitous a little bit and you went many places but I think that every part of that journey seems to be right I mean you're I'm so impressed by you and where you're at and like mm. the kind of work you're making with your community now Thank so you. and like I'm not doing theater anymore <laughs> but that also but, like I mean I thought you know I, I think you I think you are and I thought you were then too a brilliant theater artist but I also think that something that you were struggling with if I remember correctly was that you were like I have all these other things that I'm very passionate about and that I want right. to do and that I'm just, I'm not, you weren't sure that that was what you wanted to do. And like, that was mm -hmm. something that was kind of continually brought up a lot in our conversations when we were young and. Yeah. And confused. probably high. And probably, well, that's the empanada mama story. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. I had like, oh I God. had dabbled with weed in high school. Of course. It's impossible not to like with the family I have and mm -hmm. with, in the place where I grew up, mm -hmm. but like, I didn't get like into being high and smoking weed until mm -hmm. our friendship. And I'm so honored. <laughs> no, really, truly. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, it was like some of the best times of my life. I oh, have wow. this memory of like being on one of the couches in someone's dorm room just lying on my back and you were there. And I think like I, my hand was like touching your hand and my eyes mm. were just going like, and we were waiting for empanada mama. We were waiting for her empanadas to arrive. And I just was like, oh, this is taking forever. And I was just rapid eye movementing on the couch. That was very weird for me to show up at Fordham and suddenly be like the stoner person. Like, cause I like, I smoked a fair amount in high school. But I also was super type A and was like, I need to get into Columbia. Didn't happen <laughs> uh, for the best. But I, yeah. So then when I showed up and I remember some of the first parties, like, I don't even know. I just feel like somehow that became a thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I brought a lot of people on their first weed journeys and sung some lullabies to people that were a little <gasps> too high. And it, where it hotboxed a lot of those bathrooms. Oh man. Um, <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. But I really, <laughs> something I do really respect about you and something that you just said, I want to circle back to is that I think you did have the good sense to understand that like any problem that you were having at Fordham was going to follow you. I did not have that good sense because all of my problems mm. followed me to Ireland. The only difference was that I was in a training program I liked better. Yeah, that was all. Yeah, I mean, we learned those lessons in different places. Like, yeah. for context, I was at a very conservative, intense Catholic school for high school. Mm -hmm. And my junior year had a breakdown and went to my parents and was like, I 
cannot go into that building anymore. I need to transfer. And I transferred to another high school. And when I transferred then, realized how much of it was inside me that I need to work through. So I think I had already learned that lesson a little bit by the time I then got to college and was like, what do you mean we're still dealing with this bullshit? Yeah. I thought I was going to be 18 and get laid (laughs) by some beautiful individual. And that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, it happened, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the way I pictured it. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. My my educational journey was long and sometimes I have shame about it. But then I like realize it's like, no, actually, I'm doing okay. I'm oh yeah. I'm exactly where I need to be and things worked out for the best. And I just like, you know, I, I think that something that I really had to unlearn from my Fordham days was the the kind of classes on my held about hmm. college and, edu- and like educational systems and mm-hmm. what it meant to like take time off and like because ultimately my whole like early 20s to mid 20s was a very like intense long mental health escapade. <laughs> no I completely agree with that I think discovering and I was so upset with myself how much pain I felt when I didn't get into the Ivy Leagues that I applied to and I didn't get into Northwestern because <laughs> <laughs> huh. I loved Chicago but I was like of the schools this is the one I liked the best well, yeah. <laughs> it's not my favorite. No. but I had put so much care into that and I was just talking about this to my mom very recently where she was oh. like it was weird because I bought you a book on like taking a gap year and like I as a, my mom saying this like she believes that gap years are so healthy <laughs> and I was like girl you should have pushed that harder (laughs) I know I can't believe my family never once was like maybe you should take some time to like figure your stuff out because I was such a naive little asshole I was like Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go to New York and I'm gonna be on Broadway and oh yeah at age 18 you're gonna show up and like Lana Del Rey it and become famous like Oh, well now it's like, I don't even like, I don't even like acting anymore. And interestingly enough to circle it back to what we were talking about, I think Mm -hmm. I look back Mm -hmm. at pictures from Fordham and what I see is a very queer person in a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. That program was so, um, I mean, so riddled with all the isms you could imagine. Mm -hmm. And I think after graduating, learning about the ways that like racism was so rampant, it's disgusting. And I think similarly to that, the homophobia in the program was so rampant. And I remember I would always be like confused about that because I'd come home and people would be like, well, you're in theater. So it's probably very gay. And I was like, I don't know, like it feels weirdly very heteronormative and like very vibey and like I, I don't know. I totally agree with that. Like it was yeah. just such a, uh, I mean, that could be a whole podcast. It's a whole different <laughs> podcast. I mean, it wasn't, it was very much like a space that served cis gay men. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a radical queer space at all. I don't think that right. I would have come to any of the conclusions I came to unless I'd come home, which I did. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, exactly. When I look at those pictures, I see someone who's trying so hard to fit into a very rigid, self-imposed, albeit a sure. idea of what a woman is supposed to be. 
And Mm -hmm. I just, I look into my eyes and those photographs and I'm just in so much pain. Like, and I know because when I came out as non-binary, a lot of things in my life, mental health wise, all of a sudden settled and Mm. calmed Mm -hmm. down in a really big way. And that's kind of how I knew that like, despite all of the discomfort of the journey of getting there, like that was just when I could like breathe easier, that was the correct label for what I was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like that pertains to me too. But like, I think once we get into the topic at hand, oh my gosh, we are returning to a much beloved oh, yes. episode topic that we've covered, but we're going to talk, it's a whole new, it's a whole new <laughs> view on it. We're getting into, we're getting into to more and different stuff. Jenny, what are we talking about today? Well, before we get to the main event, the entree. <laughs> Are you getting out your um, notes? <laughs> oh, I've had my notes out <laughs> this whole time. I have my Apple Notes app. I've got my Muji sketchbook. We are ready. <laughs> tell me um, all. Tell me everything. Well, so I know on the pod previously, you've talked about how you have been feeling a lot of these urges, etc you've been exploring from a very young age. And I relate to that tremendously because I (laughs) have really been, and I don't necessarily want to call it sexual initially because I was so young that I'm sure that comfort thing was coming up, you know, et cetera. But I think from the age of like two to three is like when it started. Yeah. Um, And I had completely forgotten this, but I was talking to my mom, which I do a lot. (laughs) And I was like talking about, you know, this podcast and she was like, you know, when you used to, you know, hump pillows and like, (laughs) do you know, like hump blankets and all those things that you (laughs) used to do because (laughs) listen, y'all, nothing's changed. (laughs) Oh yeah. Natalie Portman in Black Swan humping that pillow thinking Mila Kunis is me. Like Mm -hmm. I saw that and was like, that is me. I'm going (laughs) to go home and think of Mila Kunis and hump a pillow. Oh yeah. But so when I was a kid, I used to call it stretch. You were going to go stretch. (laughs) No, but it wasn't a verb. It was a noun. Oh. So it was like, I'm going to go do stretch. (laughs) Or like, I want to do stretch right now. (laughs) Oh my God. And I completely forgotten this. And I was like, it, it all came rushing back. So, (laughs) so so stretch was a thing in my life from earliest memories. Do you have any idea where that came from? The only thing I can think of is like the act of like humping a pillow is sort of like you're like stretching your body. Mm. So I feel like it was like I didn't have the words for it yet. So I was sort of like trying to like describe this thing that wasn't like anything else. Yeah. (laughs) Is like all I can think. I have no idea. First of all, I love that you were so you were a child that wanted to communicate that idea. (laughs) And that your mom was so like chill that she was Mm -hmm. like, yeah great. Like this is this, Mm -hmm. I I, I feel like that it was a very like non-shameful exchange that went on. Oh yeah. Yes. That was a beautiful gift. And I've never, yeah, I've never felt shame about masturbating or also talking about it, which I think can make some people uncomfortable, but I'm pretty open. Um, Hilariously, (laughs) like the only instance where I felt weird about masturbating as a kid was with regards to Christmas and Santa Claus. (laughs) I was convinced that like, like God was chill. I grew up, I was raised Christian. So like Jesus was super cool with it. God was chill. But Santa Claus was really like not okay with stretch. And so every he Christmas- He sees you when you're stretching. Yeah, he does. I, he I, is a little perversion, but yeah. <laughs> but so like I, at like Christmas would pass and I would get 
presence and et cetera. But I'd be like, that was a close call. I gotta like, I gotta abstain this next year because I'm gonna be put on that naughty list. And I think looking back on it, I think it was something with the term naughty. Like I think mm. because that was what was used that I was like, this thing feels like, mm, I don't really know what's going on, but I associate it with this other word. Yeah. So January, I would be like, very good. And then by February, everything had built up. And I no. Was like, I got to do it. I got to, I got to stretch. I got to, I got to do stretch. Um, But so earliest memories of my life are stretch oriented in a lot of ways. And like, I know one big thing was when I was in preschool and during nap time, I was certainly that child who was like rustling around in the sleeping bag. (laughs) They put on Aladdin. (laughs) And so I was like going to town in the sleeping bag and our, it was not, a Catholic church but we were in a church for preschool and so beloved I mean to this day my family is still friends with my preschool (laughs) teachers so like Robin came up and was like Jenny you need to stop and I did not stop you're like nope (laughs) no way Robin (laughs) I gotta let this out yeah the urges were so strong too like I so so strong and so right so then as a really young child like so many of the things that would like cause those stirrings were not necessarily characters but Mm -hmm. were like moments or instances of things Mm -hmm. so like one of the earliest ones I remember was from the Hmm. adventures of Mary Kate and Ashley which was a straight to VHS mystery series (laughs) yeah I know exactly what you're talking about oh my god they would go up to the attic and they were the only two young children who could solve the mysteries. So there was one where they went to Transylvania Mm. as you, and there was like this house and they were like, the house has a witch in it. So we need you to like solve the mystery. And there was this (laughs) moment in the episode where either Mary Kate or Ashley. We don't know. We don't know because they really look the same. Yeah. One of them is like trying to run away because the witch is like climbing up the stairs or something. And they're in the foyer and there's this like ambery sticky substance on the ground and one of them steps into the substance and like can't get their foot out of it and they're like struggling (laughs) and the other sibling is like come on like you can do this and they're stuck and there was something about that the being stuck in this sticky substance that I was like oh my god this makes me feel a thing oh my god and Well, and so then the reveal, spoiler of this 1994 classic, is that it's a beekeeper, not a witch. So it was honey. Oh. Dripping from the ceiling, which I think is nowadays very sexy. But like as a child, I was like, I I don't know. I uh, got to hump a pillow. (laughs) Wait, I have a question Um, for you because this is something that comes up on this podcast over and over and over again. And I'm, you're, you're a person who has wonderful thoughts and I, I want mm-hmm. to hear your thoughts on, <laughs> ew, flattery. I want ew, to hear me? your thoughts on this is that I, a lot of people's first kind of sexual moments or moments that they recognize as like inflaming their body with urgency mm-hmm. in that way, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. have to do with bondage or being mm-hmm. physically restrained mm-hmm. in some way. And I, I wish that I kind of had something, some smart analysis about this, but I really don't. And you're like maybe the fifth person to have something like mm-hmm. this come up. That's interesting. I, f- I have a couple of like ideas and responses to that. The very first thing I thought of was like, there is a really great podcast that 
Uh, of course, I can't remember the name of. It's like one of the many podcasts that exist that talks about like taboo subjects mm-hmm. that we're not super comfortable talking about. And mm-hmm. they talked about sex. And there's this thing that goes on in our brains that there's both stuff that turns you on that gets you going in the body. But then there's like, just as that thing is happening, there's also an activity that is suppressing mm. non-sexual things or is mm. sort of like dampening stuff that would like ruin the moment kind of. Huh, interesting. And those things have like, those things have to reach a perfect equilibrium for you to like really get it to happen, oh. which I think is fascinating. And so I wonder if there's something about, cause I, to like, just really go there. Like when I have sex, I do not like to be fully naked. Interesting. In fact, I like to be mostly clothed and like have like one titty out. Like <gasps> yes, something classic like, art. Yes. Oh, yes. I like to be very <laughs> Renaissance, very traditional in <laughs> that way. But I like there's something about the fact that some of my body is still mm. not restrained necessarily, but like covered mm-hmm. and something about fabric and all those things is really sensual. Wow. Did you work with costumes? I mean... I did until I learned that there was no money in it. (laughs) But so I wonder if there is something about the fact that our bodies are doing this thing where it's like we're being turned on, but we're also pushing away things that aren't a turn on. And like Mm -hmm. that's sort of this tension Mm -hmm. that maybe there's something to just a little bit of restraint or like Mm -hmm. a little bit of a holding back that it's that tension is mimicking the tension that's going on inside of us too. So I don't know if that's part of it. I also wonder so far on the pod, it's been a lot of people like in your community, which are like pretty radical, like (laughs) theater makers, artists, like people who might share some similarities that like that might be something that comes up more regularly. Yeah, Not to say that it's only creative times. No, but like, I know what you mean. Like Like, this might be coming up over and over again because like I'm talking to people who all have like a lot of common denominators about them. I mean, that's an interesting question. Like, mm. I think probably a lot more people than are willing to admit have those pulls. Sure. I was then also, as you were bringing that up, I, I thought about, I've talked about this book so many times on this podcast, but it keeps is me relevant. It dun, dun, dun. Vagina? It is! Hey! You know, I haven't read it. I really should. <laughs> well, like, apparently she's like problematic now and I'm not sure exactly what oh, happened okay. there. And I know that the book is very much, it uses kind of woman and vagina synonymously and it doesn't really take okay. into account the, tra- the trans yeah. experience. And mm-hmm. that I, I think like is, is, is not great. And, but, you know, based on when the book came out, I don't think that we were super aware of trans uh, issues yet. Um, so right. it's certainly not like an excuse, but, you know, it's, it is very like woman equals vagina. Um, right. But as, you know, to people who have vaginas, I hope it's okay that oh, I yes. tell people that you have a vagina. Can I, I want to sidebar after you say your point about vaginas, but yes, okay. I do have one. I okay. love it. I also yeah. love my vagina, but in this book, she talks about rape fantasies, um, mm. and why those are so prevalent in people with vaginas and people who've been socialized as women. And it has a lot to do in the book that she said in her research, it has a lot to do with um, restriction, like loss of control that we don't have. <laughs> I know <laughs> that there's a, a loss of control that we yearn for that is actually necessary for us to, you know, reach climax. That because of, you know, being, being a woman in our society is to be restricted and to, Mm -hmm. to 
to watch yourself constantly and like even and especially in sexual situations like it can be really hard to turn off that you know double vision that was it Roland Bart or Berger who talked about the double consciousness of women oh I don't know it's one of the two um, I didn't get to take a genders class. I'm so sad about it. I'll do like an online thing. Yeah. 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 It's either Bart or Burger, and I'm not sure which one, but look at, I'll, I'll find it and put it in the notes. And like she said that like rape fantasies then for women aren't about like the act of being violated. It's the act of mm. lose of relinquishing control and losing control sexually. So there mm-hmm. could be something there, but then, and then also I think about the gay men who have come on this podcast and talked about that and how mm-hmm. growing up as gay in a society that doesn't like gay people can right. also then lead you to want to relinquish control and lose shake off restriction in a right. way so maybe yeah in there for sure no and I love both of our answers kind of I think looked at it from different angles like mm-hmm. both the kind of cultural societal stuff that we are born into that is like so interwoven into the way our bodies act and the way we think about our bodies is present as well as like whatever the like biological chemical stuff going on too I'm sure it's like this beautiful alchemical naughty experience <gasps> I, loved, oh. I, I knew you were the right person to talk to you about this I knew you'd have good thoughts and opinions oh wait what was your thought yes. that you wanted to... oh about vagina okay yeah. i just want to use this this podcast as a soapbox <gasps> for a second go on so as i said maybe it's still in the pot about being a catholic school person recovering mm-hmm. catholic school student uh-huh. i took latin and i love latin and i think that that language also gets me going yeah, so love it so uh, we talk about of about a body parts using Latin. Um, and so the term vagina often isn't known is a scabbard or a sheath. Jeez. It's defined by the penis, which Ugh. is sword. Ugh. And I think that's fucked up. And I, I do want to say, like, I think the reclamation of the use of the word vagina is like rooted in something really important. And, and our willingness to talk about genitalia that is not a penis is huge. So no, in no way trying to undercut the using of that term is super important, but also knowing the history of that term, I think is important. I was just trying to look up, cause I would love to use the term vessel to talk about my genitalia. Like that's, and so I'm trying to find the right language for it yes. in Latin. I'd love to keep it in the- Yeah, yeah, yeah keep it in the fam. Um, yeah, so, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I knew that vagina meant sheath and I never really kind of thought about that in, in context of like, oh, that is a- It's like, like where the penis- Centered is. around the penis, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, I do recommend yeah. the book Vagina, though. It talks a lot. Okay. It has like a fun um, history of cunnilingus across different cultures, which Ooh. is really interesting. I have to remember to breathe during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, fun. wow. Um, okay, so we got Mary Kay and Ashley yeah. <laughs> getting stuck in honey. <laughs> okay, so the next step, we've got collectively the U.S. Marines. Oh, so there was like this infomercial or advertisement that they would show at the movie theater that was of this like super ripped, like <laughs> muscular individual free soloing up these red rocks with this voiceover <laughs> that was like, be there for your country. And then had like these like projections of like Marines doing Marine things. And like the body is like sweating. And it- <laughs> pulls itself up to the top and like 
they like stand on top of the rock and then suddenly they like turn around and they are engulfed in this like tight, super clean, starchy Marines outfit. And it says U.S. Marines. Wow. (laughs) This ad is like seared into my mind. And I think for me, there was something about like the fact that it's the person's in no way naked, but it's like there's lots of muscle and skin and like stuff showing. And then they get pulled into this oh there it is again this yeah and I mean that that was like part of stretch for so long oh my god my goodness (laughs) Ah, that's so So, interesting that's interesting yeah Yeah. we got U.S. Marines there's other stuff like of that nature where again it's not even like a character it's more like just these situation things going on it seems like a lot of little bit of restraint is involved. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that brings us to like the the main event here. When you said what you were going to talk about, I <laughs> laughed so hard. I'm so glad. <laughs> so, oh. yes. Yeah. So as Aurelia already mentioned, this is, uh, you know, part of The Lion King. <laughs> uh, very good movie. Real quick. Did you know it was not originally a musical? No. It was a straight, not play, but film, song music. No, um, the music and, is what makes it. Right. Well, because the producers were like, this is boring. Yeah. This is not fun to watch. And so they put in a bunch actually, of bangers. Well, so and then what was crazy is they were like, yeah. So I think the partner of one of the producers was like, make this a musical. <laughs> And the producer was like, oh, what a great idea. But they did not reach Elton John for a super long time. Their, Paul McCartney was on the list. ABBA was on the list. <laughs> like an insane long list. And then they connected Elton John to Tim Rice. And we know the rest okay. is history. Wasn't Alan Menken in there too? I think so. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, it's just crazy to me that it's originally like ABBA. Talking Lions. If it had been ABBA, it would not have been as good. I still would have probably liked it. Oh yeah, sure. I love ABBA. It's, when I go to karaoke, I have like a rule. I will only sing ABBA and Like a Virgin. Oh. Those are my... Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. I go to because well, everyone yeah. likes it. Of course. I do. I believe in a thing called love. It's <gasps> a good one. As, as a classically trained soprano, <laughs> too. Go reaching for those high notes. Believe in myself. <laughs> okay, but we're really guilty. We got to get to it. Okay. Yeah, so was, my big crush was none other than Timon, <laughs> the beautiful little meerkat. Uh, in, living his best life (laughs) so have you listened to the episode with Dante when he talks about the Lion King so yes and I was telling my friends about this podcast and one of them was like oh well I want to answer this question and who it was for me was Nala but specifically this one moment and I was like you just got to go listen to the episode where the person's like talk about that one moment (laughs) well because I know that we talked about it because the quote unquote live action, which I would love to hear your opinions on these quote unquote oh, I'm live so excited action. I know yeah. because you you and I actually like I think one of our first kind of bonding things was that we ha- we both had this love of animation and yes because in the episode with Dante I get really heated about how it's not live action. Mm-hmm. But in recent years Disney has had kind of a blatant disregard for its own magic. Lol <laughs> that's just in my opinion. <laughs> In that episode with Dante, though, to try to stay on track as much as possible. You know, he wanted Bill Hader to play Timon. And I was like, (laughs) actually, 
Bill Hader couldn't play Timon because Timon is canonically queer. Yes. And I believe you know, he said a the queer cat. He's a queer cat. <laughs> yes, that was the joke yes. that I was getting to. Thank you. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, I'm so sorry. Here, no, I listen. <laughs> no, no, no. I I like when a joke of mine gets so iconic that it's repeatable. Honestly, um, your brand. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like I, I go on. Tell me. Mm-hmm. I guess I'll let me refer to my to my notes. Yes. Yes, please. So what exactly for Timon did it for you? Oh my God. Well, there's some different levels that we should get into. So baseline, very simple, very surface. The thing that is sexiest to me about a human person is their humor and their ability to make me laugh. And that is just the biggest thing. So like, I definitely have a type, which you could blame on. Now that I'm thinking about John and I'm thinking about (laughs) Tim. Oh my God. I mean, listen, so my fiance (laughs) could not be any closer to Timon, which I I'm thankful for. (laughs) I'm, I'm very lucky. And so I do have like a type of sorts and I blame that a lot on Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day, who again, whole ever episode, Lord. But so like a lot of like, when I was younger, I would be like, oh, my type is like really slender and like moody and angry. But also Billy Joe Armstrong is very funny. And as I've gotten older, <laughs> matured, <laughs> like way more important to me than any physical attribute is their ability to make me laugh. And the, and like just the interaction, like not to brag, but like some of the people I've slept with are so, so attractive, but so boring. And I was like, <sighs> we can't, I can't date you because I feel like I'm talking to a box even though it's a beautiful box (laughs) yeah but you know so like and I think that is really encapsulated in the character of Timon it's not just a humor too it's like a somewhat sophisticated sense of humor like Timon is like correcting Pumbaa on like the proper (laughs) vocab to use the way he's describing the grub as they like approach the log and it's like, oh yes, the cream, oh, it's scent of pecan. Like, it's just, <laughs> the sense of humor there is like, is like pretty like, you know, it's a kid's movie. So kids yeah. still get it, of course, but it's like, it's a little, you know, it's different from my least favorite humor, which is slapstick. Oh, you're not much of a physical comedian. Oh no. Which is funny because I took a vaudeville class and I also taught a vaudeville class, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but I, I can't, uh, like Home Alone, I, I truly hate oh my god <laughs> cannot watch it but words ooh. so that's the like first level is like they make me laugh my vagina is inflamed nice <laughs> well that's interesting too because I also value that a lot in my friendships and like laugh a lot with my friends but I do think like it's something I think about like with when gossip or shit talking or that kind of thing like mm-hmm. there's a vulnerability you have with that person where it's not necessarily sexual in nature it's mm-hmm. more about a bonding mm-hmm. of a different type yeah so like that is still totally present in my friendships too I think there's like a way of flirting that is funny mm-hmm. like using humor to like the only way I flirt it's the only way I flirt is the way I've gotten out of all my therapy it's (laughs) but as you say this and as like it's got it definitely like has me thinking like the way that I laugh with you wow a bunch of moments in my life are like coming into context like because I'm I'm like you in that way where I like the Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things I look for in a partner is is a sense of humor that feels compatible with mine and that you know makes me laugh Mm -hmm. but now that I think Mm -hmm. about it there have been people that I've been not with or like have wanted to be with me flex right um that have made me laugh but just not in a way that felt sexual Mm -hmm. 
And that's interesting. Yes. There's yeah. something about, I mean, Freud is both literally dead and like from a psychoanalysis perspective, quite dead as well. Yes. But the conversation that he started around like laughter and climax, I think is, is really interesting fodder and is like something to explore. So yeah. wait, what's the second layer? Okay. So I realized that like a lot of your previous guests have done a really smart thing and they've like watched the movie that they are about to talk about. And I was like, (laughs) well, yeah, but, but key here is that what was very significant to my development of my crush on Timon was actually the Lion King one and a half. Yes. A great film. Great movie. A straight to, I believe VHS and DVD sequel of a sequel. Mm -hmm. Still so good. Um, but so I was like 20 minutes before we got on this Zoom call was like, oh, I should really <laughs> revisit this quickly because this was a very big part of it. And in watching it, I only got through obviously what, like 15 minutes, but in the first sequence, well, firstly, they go into like the mystery science theater 3000 riff of like, I feel like it's literally a rip off. Like, it I is. don't know. Yeah, but they have this, which is very funny and engaging. And then they get into Timon's background and they... <laughs> The way they characterize meerkats are like these super neurotic, so like tightly wound individuals who are so scared of everything and like communally are like freaking out. And I'm like, this is my family. This is my culture. This is what I grew up in. And then like Catholics and also like my dad's whole branch of the family are like New York, Italian Mm. situation, you know, and like, I just was like, oh yes. Cause also like, I'm seeing myself here. There's a literal QVC joke in the movie. And I was like, this is my aunt. This is what this is about. Cause I wrote down some quotes Yes. specifically when Timon's mom is like rescuing Timon from the hyenas, Uh also voiced by, I forget her name, but the voice of Marge on the Simpsons. Oh really? And she's like, Yes, I screamed. I was so excited. But what did she say? Did you do? Oh, she said, what are you? Are you a Meshuggah? <laughs> and I just was like, yeah, this is like, I just, I feel, I know this meerkat lifestyle, this like afraid of everything, but wants to see, like wants to go outside and see everything. There's something um, in now that I've like reconnected with my Judaism in such a big way that now when I see stuff like mm-hmm. that, I'm like, oh, Jews. And especially if the, the word Meshuggah, mm-hmm. that's, you know, a Yiddish word. And I just keep like realizing like, oh my God, so many of my friends are Catholic. And mm. so like, I do just feel like there's just like a lot of like, especially like contemporarily, I know that there was that whole, um, you know, inquisition thing, but we don't have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so historically, maybe not so much, but I feel like in contemporary culture, like, I just feel like there's this, like our cultures are so like parallel and like side by side with each other and have so much in common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yes. I love that. That was just my little... Yes, I agree with you so much. Like the Catholic guilt and the Jewish guilt and a lot of the relationship to magic and religion, mm. the relationship to all those things are so close. So like what is the subtext here for the Timon stuff is like they yeah. are like Jewish Americans in New York. Like yeah. this colony of meerkats. Yeah. That is <laughs> absolutely so, correct. Yeah. Something that like has come up this year. I don't know if I told you about the anti-racism workshops that we essentially led with the faculty at SOU. I remember you told me about one because it happened and then immediately you like had Fire to evacuate. Happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because something that happened a lot with the students that was in a very odd way kind of encouraged by particularly the movement faculty. Weird. Well, I think mm. something that I've observed 
mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of unexamined anti-Semitism and racism in movement theater in particular, mm-hmm. especially any sort of theater where you're dealing with archetype and stereotype, you're automatically kind of going to get into some territory that's like not mm. so good. And yeah. particularly like Commedia dell'arte. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'll just, that's yep. all I'll say about that. And then also yep. there is a history of with Commedia where they would put on those plays and then yeah. be like, okay, now we're going to go to the ghetto and kill a Jew. Like that yep. would be the part of it. So I like brought it up and I brought up that like you let students sit in your green room and put on New York accents Mm. and complain Mm. and they think that that is the peak of comedy Mm -hmm. and I sat there and watched them imitate family members of mine Mm -hmm. and that was so hurtful yeah yeah I I felt like every time I like brought it up I felt crazy because people would be like no it's just New York and I'm like well yeah but who lives in New York Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just this really kind of painful thing that was like I saw happen over and over again, and I would just be feel so ashamed of my aunts and my uncles who yeah. sounded like that and who behaved that way that I thought was so wonderful and I just like loved so much, and then just mm-hmm. to see it be like with these like goy students be like, no, this is like how we, this is me demarcating someone who's annoying. And do you think that part of that is because like, cause I was listening to the episode with you and Amber mm-hmm. and you were talking about like the erasure of black Jews. Mm-hmm. Do you think that part of it is like, because people think of Jews, they're absolutely. sort of like, oh no, but it's okay for us to tease these white people. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And like in my oh, yeah. like speech that I wrote for SOU, I was like, you think of a Jewish person and you think of white people. And so your students think that it is okay to mock, ridicule, and impersonate a Jewish person when it is Mm -hmm. in fact not okay in any circumstance. Yeah, yeah. And it has everything to do with the fact that Jewishness is, has married itself to whiteness at the expense Mm -hmm. of the Black members of our community. Yeah, yeah, that's so true where I grew up too. Mm -hmm. Like we were driving to my high school to look at it because I'm that person. Um, (laughs) And we were driving through like these towns, Newton, Massachusetts, that are very much Jewish but are also very wealthy and like predominantly white and I definitely then like built that association in my mind growing up and it took a lot of unlearning to be like oh no it, it makes a lot of sense that there are black Jews uh it makes a lot of sense that that was totally erased from my mind growing up yeah I started writing a play called The Godless Garden Ooh. Ooh, I know I have like I have plays that are not about like puberty I swear <laughs> But it's kind of about that, the point in history where Jews kind of had to make a decision of whether to, Mm. you know, assimilate into whiteness Mm -hmm. or not. And there's like a Black Jewish character, uh, a Chinese woman, and um, this newly immigrated family. And this woman Mm -hmm. is too afraid to leave the house. Well, I'm excited for that. I'm exploring it. Uh, There was also another play I wrote about, you know, the shtetl life that accidentally (laughs) included like almost exactly a scene from Fiddler on the Roof that I didn't realize (laughs) until I watched Fiddler on the Roof this year. And I was like, no. Well, it's good you had the realization. I didn't do it on purpose. It was an accident. Yes. Anyway, back to the, damn. Let's get back, let's get to level three of Timon. Yeah, what was was the third level? Also like, let's be clear, my feelings for Timon were purely sexual. Okay, great. It was not romantic. No romantic. I am not necessarily a romantic person. Um, a lot of my crushes growing up were fantasies of like a one night of like perfect, perfect sex. And then I like go off to do an adventure. 
next day. I love that. Or something. (laughs) Because that's who I am. And I think like tied up in all of that is my complicated feelings about being assigned female at birth, Mm -hmm. feelings of like needing to conform to like ingenue or princess and that not being me at all. Um, I think I pushed a lot of romance away because I was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yes. purely sexual, not <laughs> yeah. romantic. Go on. Yeah. Tier three. So we mentioned, talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but mm-hmm. I, in the past couple of months have been really asking some big questions about my gender identity. I was assigned female at birth. I've identified as a cis woman for my 27 years on this earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and very recently have been asking some big questions about that and feeling a lot of feelings about it. Not to, you know, this podcast definitely has a part of that too. Like I think like in listening to it and hearing people like talk through like all these things, that's definitely been part of the conversation for me. But so I've been thinking a lot about it and in thinking about, and so I should mention too, I'm super early on in this journey. So like, I don't really know where I land, Um, but for, so much of my life, I have felt connected to queerness and the gay community and like, have always felt that a part of me was queer. Mm. But being a cis woman, I was mostly attracted to like, male presenting people. And so I was always very confused. By that. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, like, I feel like I'm someone who's, I feel gay, there's something about me. But like, I have a vagina and I'm attracted to people with penises mostly. And like, I don't know why, I don't know. And I think while growing up and in high school, like that binary very much was the thing. Like we didn't really talk about being non-binary or genderqueer. And so I didn't really see myself in the queer community. And so was sort of just like, I guess, I don't know, I'm confused. And in these years where like, amazing, amazing people are like taking huge steps to make that a known quantity and opening up that binary so that we now see that full spectrum. In seeing the spectrum, like I have been able to see myself and see my queer self there. I think in in like understanding my identity and understanding how my gender is like beyond what I understood it as. Cause we were talking a little bit about, about college too. And like, I have just never been to a party or really any social situation where I felt comfortable in a way that I, you know, could just felt like I could be myself. And I always thought that was just social anxiety. <laughs> I thought that was like, oh, I'm just an only child and I don't know how to interact with people. But in thinking about it, I felt so much pressure to act certain ways based on my assigned gender. And I think that was such a huge part of it was showing up to these parties, especially where like sex was like all over the place. And I didn't feel like anyone could look at me and really see me the way I knew myself. Like, I was like, I don't know, like, I don't like to dress any way that makes me like sexy and conforming standards. Like, I just want to be myself and be weird and and have people see that. Um, and I think in, in like finally reaching this point where I can ask these questions, because I do think some of it too is like, at some point I was like, oh no, I'm definitely bi, like fantasizing about Eva Green mm. every moment of the day. So, <laughs> well, so I was like, okay, I am attracted to people of all genders. So yeah. I guess I, but then I would feel weird, like 
I was very, very concerned about being one of those people who like was sort of a tourist at like pride events, if you mm. will, like an ally who's like, this seems fun. Yeah. <laughs> like I just did not want to be that person. Totally. And so the idea of being, and I think there's also like, uh, you know, with being bi or like feel feelings of awkwardness of like, and also like I've only been in relationships with like male presenting people. So I was like, I don't feel, I would feel super weird coming out and being like, I'm a queer person because so much of my life I've lived the straight privilege. But I think again, with that spectrum opening, I, I see myself now and I, I think in confronting some of the underlying homophobia that existed within me, all that stuff, I'm, I'm really able to, to see myself. And the reason why this relates to Timon yes. <laughs> is like, like Timon is super queer. Like, yes. oh my God, I was watching, like watching Lion King one and a half. And I was like, this misunderstood, like cute little envy. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Going on an adventure to like find themselves. Um, but like, I think that part of what was so appealing to me and like the like sexual feelings that came up was seeing myself a little bit in mm. this character and seeing queerness in the way that I identified with it. And like, as a young person who only understood the binary and only understood these like rigid ways of like gay or straight, um, and it only really being sexual orientation rather than anything else, I didn't understand that for a very long time. And like what drew me to that character so much. Because also, like, I am very attracted to drag queens. Yeah. So, like, it's amazing. Like, and I mean, that's a part of it, of course. Like, but I think I, there's just something that's, like, in exploring where these sexual attractions come from, I think part of it is, like, this part of myself that was undiscovered by me for so long mm. that is now, now coming to fruition. <laughs> so. So beautiful. You, you well, answered, like, five of my questions. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm glad. But no, I really, really love that. And I, I mean, I see that in you and I hope that like, mm -hmm. this is an okay thing to say, but like you telling this to me doesn't come as a huge surprise. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I, I mean, I think, I think everyone should examine their gender. And even if they arrive back at like, oh, I'm cis actually, I hope that like mm -hmm. what that ultimately does is it helps define what kind of man or woman that they want to be. I think getting to wake up every day and get to choose the way that you exist in the world and the way that you present yourself is such a gift. Mm -hmm. And like, if that feels, if that choice and like, in that, like taking that power back for yourself feels right, then that's like, then you are queer. Right. Cause that's, right. that's pretty radical. Yes. Yeah. And I think Maggie Nelson talks about this in the Argonauts, like the term queer and like being gay for so long, being a radical thing. And it now in, in the world where we are like so slowly and painfully becoming more mainstream, there's these big questions of like people who are living more mainstream lives and are also gay. And there's some pushback against that. Um, sure. And I know that you said like you feel maybe like you don't have a right to claim these words because of your relationships that you've been in with men. And you, you said the word privileged existence. And I want to kind of push back against that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, like, yeah, you had food, shelter, parental love. 
all of those mm-hmm. things, like your safety wasn't in danger. And that is, is of course like big privilege, but like also it, from what you're describing, it sounds like you were also in quite a bit of like emotional distress. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and, like it, it does make me upset to think like, I know that there's kind of the, the thought that like transness is inherently defined by dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And I, it always kind of bums me out to think like that queerness is so intrinsically wrapped up in pain. Absolutely. Like, I think that there's a writer named Will Wright who wrote about trans as not just transforming, but transcending. Mm. And like, I think so far in like this adventure, this gender adventure, like my main, the like average feeling I have is just relief, like Mm. complete relief. And like, I think that I wouldn't have such sweet relief had I not wrestled with these things for so long. And that's not to say that you need to have pain to have happiness by any means. But I think that because I'm a person who never wanted to run away from my feelings about Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. If I, I suffered a lot from depression when I was a teenager. And so in those moments, you know, depression is, is sort of like this sinking feeling for me. And like, I wanted, I knew that the way to move through it was not to push it away. Cause that's what I had been doing was like, mm-hmm. I can't have this. I need to be valedictorian oh. <laughs> and I need to be the lead in the spring musical. And I oh. also need to have like all my teacher's approval and need to be like a cool punk. Oh, too many things, too many things. But like, I knew that I couldn't just push it away anymore. So I had to live with it and I had to get to know it and know who I was in it. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I think I've become the person who I am. Yeah. It's very complicated. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. And like, this is actually one of the big reasons I, I, I think I fell more in love with directing than acting. Mm. Um, Mm. Actually my coming out as non-binary coincided with my kind of realization that was like, I actually want to direct. Yeah. Um, and again, I think it always comes down to like, I like having the, the final say in, in my presentation. And I think in acting, that's so very rarely the case that the actor gets to have that final say, but also it's like, I, and I'm, I'm casting the juvenilia season right now and thinking so hard about the ways in which I'm a gatekeeper Mm -hmm. and the ways in which like, how can I completely divorce the way someone looks with their texture mm-hmm. as an actor, the tempo I'm looking for, for this piece. And like, which actors like kind of breathe and speak in the rhythm that I want them, that that I, matches my, what I'm trying to say. And mm-hmm. I think so much like queerness and, and be, being gender fluid feels so much more like that to me. And obviously right. I know a lot of really wonderful non-binary gender fluid actors who I love working with and like casting right. in all sorts of roles. Um, mm-hmm. And I like telling queer stories with those actors, but like, just, I think that queerness is a journey mm-hmm. and queerness is, mm-hmm. queerness is the ability to choose. It's not having mm-hmm. something rewritten for you. It, it's, it's taking control of your own destiny. And I know that for myself also, as someone who's like pretty femme presenting, and also is in a relationship with a man, I often, I get mm-hmm. so anxious that I'm going to mm-hmm. be called a faker or that I'm just, yeah. I'm doing this for attention. I'm oh, doing this to, yeah. like, I'm doing this because it's the trend. And I get so mm-hmm. anxious about that going into most spaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just mm-hmm. don't, yeah, I, 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 so if those are anxieties that you have, I'm just saying that I'm like, I feel that totally. here for no, you. For I, 
I appreciate you saying it all because they are definitely really big fears that I have. And it's part of why I've never been public about this. And like, I do feel really so much encouragement when I hear folks like Lori being like, no, if I, if this was the world I'd grown up in, this is, would have been a gate, a way for me to move forward too. And yeah. I think like something, a big question I have about it all is, um, I mean, I have a very frustrated and complicated relationship to feminism as mm. a movement. Mm. Of course, the general philosophy of people of all genders being equal is, uh, you know, correct. <laughs> but the way that feminism has manifested over time, yeah. and the way that white feminists have leveraged white supremacy and privilege there to mm -hmm. make some really bad choices um, mm -hmm. is really, you know, it's something that I don't want to run away from at all in moving in through my life. But I think of a question I have in understanding my genders is like, am I trying to run away from how hard it is to be a white woman in some ways? Am sure. I, am I like disturbed by like Karen and disturbed by what I see? And like my response to that is to distance myself from it rather than own it. But I don't know. Cause that's like, I don't think that's the case because then when I think about like I told you before recording, I've been making these like mood boards of like the images that like I see myself in gender wise. And mm -hmm. it's like freaking everything from like, <laughs> like Timon, Timon, <laughs> Timon uh, eggs, all eggs. I love eggs. I got my egg tattoo. Oh my God. <laughs> um, That's great. Goopy, like soft, but also hard shell, <sighs> all those things. And then I'm, and I look at these and I'm like, Oh no, that I, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I think that's <laughs> I think that sense of relief that you feel when you like think about these things and when you arrive mm -hmm. at these conclusions, I think definitely out outweighs this thought of like, am I doing this to distance myself from white womanhood? And also I would say that like, if you're trying to distance yourself from white womanhood, you didn't choose an easier thing. <laughs> you yes, chose a harder thing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I've talked to you about like sometimes worrying that like my interest in exploring my Judaism is just a way to get away from my whiteness. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways, in some instances, I think that that's true. But like, I also know that like one of the ways I do enable to do better anti-racism work is through a Jewish lens and, and, mm -hmm. and through the, the lens of my, my faith and my cultural practice as a Jewish person. Yes. I think like I read, I believe it was from the NAP ministry, which is like- I love the NAP ministry. Super fantastic. Um, I mean, it's on Instagram, but it's beyond that. It's a whole <laughs> movement and mission. But yes. like they, I saw that they posted something recently that was like, when we dismantle, like if we're dismantling one type of oppression we're working at dismantling all types of oppression mm -hmm. so in that way like if you're working at dismantling like the structures of gender like you then recognize those oppressions against people of color yeah and you like once when we break down all those things that is better for everyone and that's what intersectionality the, is the and so, <laughs> yeah and i think that my my main thing is like you know privilege is a spectrum like everything else mm -hmm. and I just want to make sure that in exploring my parts of myself that are maybe undermining privileges I previously held I don't want to like then completely throw away where I do hold privilege I, yeah. I want to understand where that still exists for me 
and be honest about that and know how that's affecting everything else. Well, we didn't actually get to talk that much about Timon because we do have to start wrapping up, (laughs) but we talked about a lot of other stuff. So I'm not particularly pressed. Um, If you had, if you could sit down with your younger self, uh, what would Mm -hmm. you tell young Jen? Oh, don't be scared. It will change, but it's going to be better. It gets better. Oh, that's lovely. My next question. Did you ever receive the talk? Okay. Yes. And (laughs) yes. So, so I, so as is probably apparent, my parents are pretty like positive about all the things. Yeah. Um, and so, but my mom is like not a person who like necessarily talks about this stuff. That's just not really her wheelhouse, if you will. Uh So she gave me, she was like, you need to know about sex here's a book (laughs) yeah we love Um, literature we love reading (laughs) and so this was a book where that was narrated by a bird and a bee of course it was um and I was thinking about it and like I think the book so the book was mainly focused on like this is like penetrative sex Mm -hmm. and then like that results that can result in babies so like your babies but then there was also a section that was like also there are people who are attracted to the same sex and these are gay people and it's great and I was like great but then they it was cool but they didn't then go into how they have sex so it was always just sort of like like it was clearly presented for like the children of like liberal parents who are like not really thinking about whether or not their child could be gay but but wanted to be like no but it's cool it's cool if you are (laughs) but like we're not going to tell you just in case you get any ideas yeah yeah so that was that And then my dad was more like, he like actually talked to me in person and Mm -hmm. was like, I mean, and this was especially, I started dating someone seriously in high school and it was a college boy. I know. Um, So my dad was like, sex is going to come up for y'all. Like using a condom is really important because if you get pregnant, it would be really intense. Obviously you got to, you got to to do, but like, (laughs) and I was like, cool dad. And he was like, you're not going to like using it. And I was like, why? I don't. Why would you say and such a thing to me? me? And also some people do. So what are you, why are you saying this to me? But so he did talk to me, IRL. That's pretty great. Yeah. That's pretty great. And uh, then the other aspect yeah. was like, uh, my mom had a really close relationship with her gynecologist. So I went to the gynecologist starting at age like 11 or 12. And then in there, I could be like, I've got all these questions. Ah! <laughs> um, and then also was able to be like, can I please have birth control for my quote, migraines oh yeah did you get it for your migraines I did did it help not the migraines (laughs) but it did help me not get pregnant good for you god I don't remember the first like I don't remember getting on the pill and I don't Mm. no when did I start I've been on the pill since Mm. forever you're born with it I was born with a pill maybe um Mm. no I don't I don't that's not important doesn't matter um But yeah, so that's nice. I like that for you. I, I It's yeah. kind of a common theme also that like people don't receive gay sex talks. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole like mythology of losing your virginity, whole other conversation, uh, but like the association with it being like dick in a hole. <laughs> uh, yes, I know. Yeah, I had like, I was lucky obviously because my parents were lesbians. So when myself and my sister asked about mm-hmm. what lesbian mm-hmm. sex was like, they told mm-hmm. us and we're pretty upfront about it. And 
then again, when we asked how gay men had sex, they were pretty upfront about that. And Mm -hmm. we're pretty fortunate, but like, yeah, I don't, I, I, my sister is like thinking about having a baby in the next couple of years. I'm so excited. Is there a gender neutral term for like an aunt slash uncle? I was thinking about this and I don't have an answer. Right. I think maybe I don't feel like I'm particularly an aunt or an uncle, but I am going to be the per I want to be the first person that kid comes out to. Could you use the term for aunt and uncle, but in a different language? So it's maybe like, yeah, maybe the only language because other languages. yeah. Yeah. They're just other languages like gender their nouns also, which I, I know. Weird. And the only language that I have like remotely like any passing familiarity with is French, <laughs> which I wouldn't be that upset if I was like a l'oncle. <laughs> l'oncle. L'oncle. <laughs> it's better than tante. <laughs> My tante. I would rather be a l'oncle than a tante. <laughs> That's so fair. I was just thinking about Oma and Opa. Oh, which yeah. I love yeah but I don't know if there's an aunt and uncle I'll look there. I'll look up what it is in Yiddish and I'll yeah. I'll see how I feel um yeah because I probably would feel closer to a Yiddish aunt than I would a French aunt but closer to a French <laughs> uncle than I would a Yiddish uncle like I said I'm just really excited to like hang out with this kid and then give it back as soon as it gets to that's what I can't wait for though I did funny story my sister like texted me the other morning and she was like mm-hmm. I want a baby and you know she's entering her this year she'll start her residency in med school and her her and her husband have been together for a while and he has a nice paying job and they have a very stable life so it's like, yeah, they are probably in a good place to to bring a, a child into this world. So I'm like yeah. talking about it with my mom <laughs> and she's mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, if they're going to do that in the next couple of years, I really, I want to work on getting you a French bulldog because I know you really want that. <laughs> I don't want you to feel left out, she said. <laughs> and I was like, what? kind of monsters were me and my sister that oh we my, God. That like my mom is like oh no Aurelia's gonna throw a fit if Hannah has a wow baby. you know a baby this thing that's like a huge deal and involves every single one of us wow like oh my god but I didn't say no I was like yeah I want a French bulldog so oh yeah you gotta milk that situation I'm gonna milk that situation but I, didn't. I am gonna throw a fit bloody I will don't get me a French bulldog I want a Frenchie Hannah has a baby I deserve one too I deserve a her baby my she, own baby. I hate that term I hate that term yeah. but I do I mean if they're I, I want I want a French bulldog they look like uh babies who run into walls yeah that's what I want with crazy ears I know they're so cute um yeah uh, I'm going to the last questions do you have anything you would like to promote oh gosh um you should follow me all (laughs) on Instagram I'm an illustrator I'm starting my journey to get paid for my art and it's pretty good I'm enjoying it so far, but so you can follow me at, I just changed my handle to Retro Spectacle Studio, a wink and a nod at my optician certification. Oh my God. (laughs) That I have. Um, So yeah, follow me there. Uh, I'll have an Etsy shop soon and I will be on the cover of the New Yorker (laughs) someday. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Manifest. I don't really I, know if I want that. That's okay. I, I just want money. You're a very talented artist and I love your work. And thank you. 
I think that you are great. And I will post all of your links to your stuff in the show notes. So people can check yes. you out there. My last yes. question for you, Jenny. Yes. Did that do it for you? In spades. No! Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, that did it for me. Hope that did it for you. Thank you so much for listening. That Do It For Ya is hosted and edited by Aurelia Grierson to the best of their ability. It is produced by Dante Tapo and Chandler Parrott-Thomas. Eleanor Hobson is our media and marketing manager. Our theme song is by Eric Solis, and our visual design is by Margaret Chambers. That Do It For Ya is a sex-positive podcast with naughty words and mentions of characters I do not own. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at That Do It For Ya. Be sure to tell your friends about us, rate and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and if you're interested in becoming a monthly donor, you can go to patreon.com slash that do it for your pod to join our horny little community.